In the digital reality, evolution over revolution prevails. The QA approaches and techniques that worked yesterday will fail you tomorrow. So free your mind. The automation cyborg has been sent back in time. TED speaker Jonathan Wright's mission is to help you save the future from bad software. Welcome to the show. We've got Damien. I'm so excited to have him on the show. I, I've been uh, addicted to going to watch some of your videos recently on YouTube, <laughs> which you have to check out. His, uh, his lightning talk at Star West was just absolutely amazing. Uh, you know, he gets the crowd going over a hundred conferences he's done. You know, this guy is an absolute legend. And also, you know, he's going to tell you a little bit more about Ineffable and what Ineffable Solutions does. Uh, so I'm going to hand it over to you, Damien. Give us a little bit of introduction to yourself. Thank you, Jonathan. I really appreciate the opportunity to speak with you today. Uh, it's great to be here. Um, and thanks for the introduction. Uh, it's all accurate. <laughs> it's, uh, I, I've, uh, I'm a public speaker. I'm a professional speaker. This is my job. This is what I do. I've been doing it uh, professionally for about six years, and I've had my company for almost four years now. So uh, that's, that's who I am right now. I'm a speaker, among other things. But uh, I started, uh, started my career almost 25, 26 years ago in software testing. And that's why I'm speaking to you today, among other things. <laughs> yeah, I was very impressed. I kind of looked through uh, all the way back to the 90s when you started off in testing. And, you know, you've had some really interesting roles. You know, you've kind of gone between kind of real focus on quality, you know, to kind of team leadership. And I, I kind of spotted that from some of this kind of stuff that you do with your training sessions at the moment. Because that looks like a lot of fun. And some of the feedback I was reading, you know, you really get the audience engaged. And, you know, you're working on things like communication, teamwork, you know. Tell me a little bit about how you got into doing the training side of things. Yeah, I'll start even further back to give you a little bit of context and origin story, as it were. Um, I started uh, in computers in my teenage years. I started learning on a TRS-80 color computer. And I taught myself basic when I was just in uh, of primary school. So I've been around computers my entire life. And by 19 years old, I was at university. And I had an opportunity. A friend of the family uh, gave an opportunity to join the quality assurance department at CompuServe, a company that's no longer around but used to be the one and only way to get online in the, in the uh, late 80s and early 90s. And so uh, I dropped out of university and joined the QA department and started my testing career as many of us have fallen backwards into testing. That's my fall backwards story. And uh, to make a long story short, over the next 25 years or so, I worked at about 15 different companies in a variety of contexts and industries and domains, including uh, education and retail, um, finance, insurance, airline, all sorts of different companies that had uh, many differences, but one thing in common, they all made or used software in some way, shape, or form, and I helped make that software better. Uh, through testing. And um, then uh, I, I got into improv uh, about 10 years ago, 10, 12 years ago, improv comedy, kind of like what you see on Whose Line Is It Anyway? <laughs> and I did that for about 10 years. Uh, I teach that. I recently taught a class at the Columbus or Ohio State School for the Blind. I taught a bunch of visually impaired students how to do improv. Um, I used that experience to help me author a child, author and illustrate a children's book called Hank and Stella and Something from Nothing that teaches kids the principles of improvisational comedy. 
Um, I, I really see myself as a holistic person using a lot of different varied aspects of my myself and bringing them all together to become a public speaker, as I mentioned before. And I use elements of my testing experience and my improvisation and my authoring to try and make dynamic, enjoyable educational sessions, keynotes, workshops for my attendees. It's absolutely fascinating because I, I went through because you've you've also also spoke at a, a, a dog fest I think it was or cat fest there was some really interesting uh, events that you've spoken at and I noticed there's a few schools in there and I was thinking it's you know so great that you're kind of I guess a lot of people are talking about STEM at the moment but you know no one's really thinking about those kind of soft creative skills um, and you know I think creativity is is so important. And, you know, it seems like you're just directly tapped into that. And I know, you know, James Whitaker uh, did a few books on, on five steps to, towards creativity. You know, it sounds like you're kind of very aligned with that and, and very passionate about, you know, how important communication is. Absolutely. I think communication is one of the most essential skills that needs to be developed. Um, and I do enjoy speaking at primary schools, elementary schools here in the States. I go and I read my book. And the book is intended to teach kids um, life skills through improv. It's, you can teach a kid about collaboration and cooperation and creativity and how to communicate and react to mistakes and accidents, but that's kind of dull and boring. But if you wrap up those boring lessons in something more fun, um, then it becomes more palatable to them. And so uh, some of the same, same things I teach in my workshops to professional executives I teach those same ideas and concepts to children just using different language. But uh, I think it's very important to, to focus on things like communication and empathy and uh, linguistics and semantics. What do things mean and understanding one another, um, uh, modeling, all these sorts of uh, relativism, those types of things, really fundamental concepts. That's one of the things I realized after 25 years of software testing is no matter how much the context changes, if you dig down deep enough, at the core are usually a f just a handful of fundamental things like communication and empathy, trust, uh, relationships, those types of things. And that's what I focus on in my speaking and training now. No, I think it's great because, you know, trust is the basis. When you're talking about confidence around testing, you know, there's a certain level of trust that's kind of implied there. Um, and, you know, back on to your point for a second, you know, I don't know if you've ever seen the TED Talk from Sir Ken Robinson around, uh, you know, uh, is is education killing creativity I'd, I'd recommend checking it out is he's a fantastic speaker and he's kind of talking about what you're talking about here about what are those kind of skills that you the kids are going to need in the future and, and those core foundational skills yes science maths technology is is great um but in actual fact we don't know what the look the future is going to look like in 10 20 20 years and we it, we're finding right today i know you saying this first bit of work you you know you've kind of had to interact with people that's you know since covid19 and you know part of that is that kind of communication might be the norm going forwards and therefore being able to express yourself, be able to read people and be able to understand and empathize for them and, you know, have that curiosity and enthusiasm and passion about what you're doing. I think that's what you're trying to do is inject that passion back into it with a bit of fun as well. So you were talking about the, the kind of training side of things. And I know you do things like the hidden requirements um, and a few other sessions. Could you tell us a little bit about the listeners a little bit more about that? Yeah, certainly. Um, I like to vary up my training. Some of it is improv-based. In other words, I use uh, I teach these things that I mentioned earlier, linguistics and semantics and communication and empathy, which are 
somewhat dry, boring topics, but I try to wrap them up in something more fun because something that's more enjoyable, people will, uh, whether they need it or not, they, uh, they will want it something to, to learn something. You can lead a horse to water, but you can't make it drink. So I try and, and make it interesting to them. So I often use improv as a way to teach these fundamental topics, but not all of my talks and training use improv. Um, sometimes I'm able to wrap it up in other ways to make it interesting, uh, to engage the audience. The Hidden Requirements is one of my uh, talks and workshops that does not use improv, but uh, I, I talk about the importance of emotional considerations in software design, development, and testing. Uh, if something meets specifications or requirements or seems to be as intended, it may still not be pleasing and satisfying and enjoyable to the customer. And why is that? Because pleasing, satisfying, enjoyable are emotions. And if you haven't considered the emotions, then even if it meets requirements, it may not sell. It may be rejected by the customer. So that one, I don't really use any uh, improv in it, but I tap into the idea of emotional considerations and the importance of those. And that's that's really interesting because you know I, I, another TED t- uh, speaker Simon I'll, I'll dig his name out I don't know if you've ever seen he explains with a whiteboard um, why app people like Apple products and it's kind of that whole kind of dimension of feelings. Simon Sinek perhaps yeah Simon Sinek yeah and it's he's the, the Y circle the golden Y start with the Y yeah the gold yeah that's it I truly believe that uh, the idea that he's espousing there start with the why is nothing new, but he does it very clearly and effectively. So it's gotten a lot of popularity. And the idea, uh, I totally agree with it. I often say, if you understand the purpose, the reason, the goal that you do something, if you answer the why, that will help you better understand the what and the how. If you try and figure out what you're doing or how to do it, but you don't understand the reason, then I think you're lost. So I, I totally agree with that message. It is, and it's 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 amazing because looking at it a different direction, you know, and, and someone like Steve Jobs was very much about the why. It was, you know, it wasn't uh, this has got an eight oh eight six processor in. It was about you know twice as fast as it was before, or you know twice as uh, you know shiny as it was before. And you know, part of it is it was feeding directly into our emotions. And I, I know, you know, I remember. Uh, a friend, Julie Gardner, who did emotional intelligence for testing, uh, she used to do the workshops at Star. And, you know, do you feel that maybe some of that stuff's kind of ticking into, you know, getting people, people thinking about mindfulness, think, people thinking about emotional intelligence? Do you think that's also very helpful? Or, Well, I was listening to the, uh, the QA lead introduction uh, episode where you, you introduced the new series, the new podcast. And one of the quotes that I heard you say was, testing is a lost art. And I agree because I think that a lot of times um, after being in this for 25 plus years in software testing and technology and being a consumer, a user of technology for 46 years, my entire life, uh, my personal feeling is that the quality of software has degraded significantly. Uh, The stuff that's available out there is far more complex and complicated and advanced than it ever was before, but I also feel it's worse. Obviously, that's subjective and quality is is very much uh, to each their own, but that's my personal feeling. And part of that is because I think that testing is a lot of lost, lost art. It's not the only reason, but part of the reason that I feel there's a degradation in the quality of software is because people have gone away from the fundamental concepts, the things that I teach, and they've gotten distracted and caught up in the fancy technology and tools that are certainly useful, certainly helpful. But again, if you don't understand the why, why are you testing? Why the reason that you're trying to uh, 
do something, then the amount of tools and technology is really moot. It doesn't matter what type of tools and technologies you use if you don't understand the fundamental concepts such as communication and emotions. Um, so I, I don't know if that answered your question, but I think it's it's at least tangential to the topic. No, no, I, it absolutely is. And I, I completely agree with you. I think, you know, we've lost something. Um, and it's it's a real shame because, you know, I, I, uh, I'm trying to get Tom Gilb on the show at the moment. And, you know, he's kind of, to me, is that the grandfather of Agile. He was talking about Planwidge and Evo back in the 70s and 80s. And I've got most of his books. Um, and he was, a, he was an engineer, you know, in, you know at heart. And, you know, part of it is it feels like we might have lost some of that. And, you know, I don't think engineering was about process. It was about it was about this it being an art form. It was about this, you know, doing something that was engineered to perfection. And, you know, I think we've kind of gone faster and faster and faster. And, and I think that now we're seeing it break. You know, we're seeing it now. Like I, I literally, I can't use my app to order the takeaway anymore because it, it, it's, it's gone down. You know, I can't order food in the 6 a.m. in the morning. I get up and I'm in a queue for 14,000 people and it doesn't work. It doesn't work for me anymore, right? Now, I remember CompuServe. I used to have a Compu, my first CompuServe email. And I also, uh-huh. uh, a, a little side task, but I also got banned from CompuServe. Um, <laughs> and this was, you know, back in There's the 90s. Uh, I know. <laughs> and, you know, back then, I, my best friend uh, who had a, it was, Lucky is called uh, uh, Russell Watson, but he's he actually got his doctorate in computers. So he became Doctor Watson, which I'm sure you're familiar with, especially with you know. I noticed when you were at CompuServe, you're doing MS Test, which is yes. a very long time ago. Anyway, many so, people recognize that name. Yes, no, they don't. I don't even think the people at Microsoft recognize that name anymore. <laughs> and I'm talking, you know, I've been chatting to Alan Page and some of the Microsoft guys recently, and you know, they they go back a few de- decades. But yeah, so I I'd left Russ, uh, who was my best friend. Uh, to you know, get online. So waiting for the, the you know my fifty six k flex or whatever it was, you know modem to connect. Got onto CompuServe and you know first thing he's onto the chat channels. He's chatting away. Um, and yeah, so next thing I, he comes downstairs. He's like, oh, we've been we've been disconnected. It says you've been banned. And I said, oh, what's happened? He was like, well, I was just chatting to people because he was always in charge because he'd done a Mavis Beacon touch typing course. Um, mm-hmm. And he, he was able to do 80 words per minute. So therefore, because it was costing us 50, 50 cent every minute to be online, it, he was the most efficient way to get connected, get on, get off in 12 minutes you know, <laughs> and minimize the phone bill. So literally, I was like, well, what did you say? He's like, well, this guy started, you know, harassing me. And so I told him exactly what I thought of him. I was like, what was his name? He was like, oh, a guy called Admin. And, you know, even though he was doing computing, he, you know, he'd not, he thought the name was lame, but he didn't realize it stood for administrator. And my dad got a letter through the post from CompuServe saying that his <laughs> subscription's been held for, a, uh, for abusing staff uh, for 30 days so snail yeah. mail banning that's wonderful <laughs> but it shows you that the how things have changed is you know we'd get <laughs> on we'd serve ourselves like CompuServe serve the internet to ourselves in a small chunk and then we'd get off and you know, the whole thing was that experience was easy it was straightforward for somebody who was you know 16 17 doing uh, college and you know 
AOL, my sister still has an AOL email address. It's, it's getting <laughs> quite tragic. But, you know, part of it, <laughs> it worked, right? And now we have this self-serve of always being connected and always, you know, expecting, you know, things to be very simple, which they're not. Because what the simplicity's done is mask the actual complexity behind it, and I, that's that's the problem. And you know, if you remember Napster and MP3 players, you know how difficult was it to get music onto your MP3 player? You'd have to plug it in, you'd have to synchronize it, you'd have to download the music before that you wanted to do. It was it took time and it took engineering. Now you say Alexa, play me whatever, and if you know that's it. You don't think anything else about it. And, and I think those simplicity has made it easier from a digital experience. But I think now it's taken away the joy of, of, of owning a, a, an MP3 player of, you know, going through and really thinking about, well, what's my favorite music? You know, I'm going to rate it one to five. I'm going to make my own playlist. I'm going to make my own tapes or mixtapes, you know, if Guardians yes. of the Galaxy teaches us anything. But so, you know, I think as things have gone, you know, down the line, we've, we've kind of over out engineered ourselves by just technology. And like you said, yes. the, the focus has been, again, just on technology and not what's behind it and what purpose. I have two thoughts there. on that. Absolutely. I, I wholeheartedly agree with what you said. Um, I, I sometimes mentor junior or even, even experienced testers, depending uh, on their, their need or their wants. And someone came to me once and asked uh, if, if, if I could mentor them. They wanted to be, get into software testing. So I started with the why. Why do you want to? And there's no wrong answer. They could have said money or status or fame or who knows. But understanding their reason and purpose for doing so helped me better understand what to do and how to do it. So they gave their reason and um, we began our sessions and we would meet several times a week and we started meeting uh, uh, over several months, and I started with things like communication, which is, again, very basic and fundamental, and uh, effective communication, and how to identify miscommunication, how to even recognize when miscommunication might be occurring and, and stop it before it, it gets any further. And then we talked about semantics and digging into meaning and what do people mean and words and linguistics and, and how they're malleable and change and subjective and people's experience in Virginia Satir's communication models and then we started talking about relativism, which led to perspective and subjectivity and how different things mean different things to different people. And um, then we got into um, uh, modeling and how everything you think, do, or say is based on some type of mental model or physical model and how that affects our perception of the world. And after months of this, she said, hey, uh, I asked you to help me get into software testing. We've never talked about it at all. And I said, well, have we or haven't we? And I, I use the analogy of, of Karate Kid, if you've ever seen that movie. It's a pop culture reference. But wax off, wax off. That's it. He didn't <laughs> think he was learning karate by doing Mr. Miyagi's household chores, but in fact, he was learning it all along. So I said, you don't think you've been learning about testing, but have we ever spoken about bug reports or defects? She said, no. I said, so somebody might teach you about severities and priorities and expected results and steps to reproduce, but we've never talked about those things. But tell me, how would you enter? We've talked about problems and perspective. How would you enter a bug? If you found a bug, how would you tell people about it? She says, well, I understand that I'm not sure who's going to be reading the report, so I have to try and use language that's as accessible as possible because it might land upon different eyes and they have different perspectives. And I have to also indicate what perspective I'm using and why I think it's important and why I think it's relevant, and also use it in comparison, compared, why it's important to compare to other things. And I said, you've just talked about, oh, she would uh, explain um, 
what she did and why she did those things and the results that she thought should happen and the results that actually happened. I said, what you've just done is described a beautiful bug report, but we've never talked about severities and priorities and steps to reproduce, but you knew to do those things because I taught you the fundamental concepts. So I was teaching her testing from the inside out. Um, back to the lost art thing, I was asked recently about what do you think is the future of testing? And many other people that were asked the same question were saying AIML and DevOps, Bitcoin buzzword insert here, whatever. And I said, return to the fundamentals because that's what I think is needs to be. Maybe it won't be, but I think needs to be the future of testing. And one last thing, talking about the internet and Napster and Alexa, I think obviously the internet is wonderful for a variety of reasons. And I also think it's horrible for a variety of reasons. I have a blog post called, How Do You Really Feel? And it applies that concept to pizza, that you can love and hate things about a pizza. It's the same pizza, and you don't have to wholly love it or wholly hate it. You can like and dislike different aspects of it. And that's how I feel about the internet. I feel that it has made it more easy to do things badly, to miscommunicate. Now, obviously, you and I are talking across the pond very easily and effectively, but if you don't understand basic communication skills and how to identify miscommunication and stop it before it gets further, then the Internet only makes it easier to miscommunicate. And I think that oftentimes that's what uh, contributes uh, to problems and helps them spiral out of control. Like this uh, global pandemic right now, there's so much information out there and noise, without, and it's very difficult to be able to distinguish what's real and not real. Um, it's very difficult for me as somebody that has, is self-taught and trained in this. I can't imagine for the layperson how they're able to uh, understand and comprehend something as important as the COVID-19 virus and, and truth and opinion and misinformation. And the Internet helps all that happen faster than ever. So <laughs> I, I think that this is all related to what you're speaking to. I think it is. I, I can't agree with you more. I, you know, I do think testing um, – you know, Paul Gerard, I remember, he just lives just up the road from me, and Paul uh, did an interview. Say hello to him. I will yes. do. For the BBC, he did one that said, testing's dead. Um, and I think what he was talking about was exactly this. He was t- talking about the art of testing is dead, right? And I know you know James Whitaker was, and I saw James talk, he was talking about, you know, you know, test, testing's dead, right? And he w- wasn't talking about the fact that testing is dead, you know, he was talking about in, in its form that it is and, and the lack of creativity, the lack of all that stuff. You know, his example with the FBI, which is, you know, uh, when he started there, you know, they asked for a test plan. They wanted 100 test plans. He decided to make the test plans instead of them 100 pages long, making them to one page to save time and then to nothing because they were irrelevant. Right. But the whole point was there was value in that. There was value in the bug reports. And exactly what you've just said is, you know, I'm so disappointed. You know, I started, when I started in the 90s, I started for, for an engineering company, Siemens, who engineered things. They made nuclear reactors and health, you know, equipment and all this kind of stuff, which was built to last. Um, and I'd meet people who would say, yeah, I was on the committee to help with this, you know, voice over IP silent suppression algorithm. And this is how I developed it with this group of people who all came together to work on the algo. You know, it was all that kind of, you know, professional kind of bodies. You know, I, I, I ran last week, I did the BCS with, with Lisa Crispin. And, you know, part of it was, you know, bring some of that back. Well, what I see is when I turn up, and I, I'm sure you see this as well, is I see a bug report, which is literally one line. 
and it's using the title and it'll always be set to the medium priority and whatever other you know columns the default book tracking application maybe a screenshot right uh and then some people will go either one step more and say well actually don't if it's in sprint don't raise bugs just come over to me tap me on the shoulder and say yeah that's that so there's lots of learnings that i just don't think you know happen right with in this kind of economy with throwaway you know people will go wait a second let me just go into GitHub and pull down some code which somebody else has written which i don't understand and plug that in because that's the first thing that comes up in google you know, I personally can't deal with Google. And if I do, I literally put a filter on that says, give me the information that's only a week relevant, right? Mm. I don't want to see stuff in the past. I remember typing in automation and getting automation snake oil, which, you know, no offense <laughs> to uh, Michael Bolton and the gang. But, you know, that was written 30 years ago. And it isn't as relevant as maybe some la- the latest findings, you know, from you know what's been published out there and some of the great thoughts and like exactly what you said with COVID nineteen the first bit of information I shared around that was the Stanford University medical uh, um, presentation which was very chunky and hard to eat but it was eighty pages of really useful advice based on fact um, and that was the first bit of information I'd listened about it to to about it because you know fake news and you know there's just not. In, there's just the information there it needs validate in its own sense i just think are people the generation that are coming in becoming testers for whatever reason they are are they genuinely passionate about it and are, are they just going and grabbing something and saying i've been told to write tests or run tests or write bugs you know is is that testing and i mm. I, I agree it probably isn't testing and we need to go back to basics I'm trying to fight the good fight and support the former rather than the latter, trying to make people passionate about problem solving, about uh, uh, pleasing, about developing relationships. And you say, well, those aren't testing. Those are testing. Those are things. If you're, if you're passionate about those things that, and that can easily lead to a career in software testing that is uh, more meaningful in my opinion. Uh, and that's why I, I think that everyone is a tester. Now, that's missing a very important modifier, an adjective in front. Is everyone a good tester? No, no. But everyone is a tester. You give a child a toy, and they experiment. They push and pull and prod and turn and twist, and they notice things about it. And from those things that they observe uh, and their experience, they alter their behavior, and they try something else, and it informs their next action. I notice when I push this that this light goes on. I wonder what happens if I push that. Oh, the light didn't go on. Well, they're learning things. That is testing. And as as children, that comes natural to them. They're all experimenters. So I think that in that sense, everyone is a tester, but you can enhance those skills. You can make them better. I have a blog post called Professional Trier. I consider myself someone that has advanced skills in trying. <laughs> and I think that oftentimes as kids get into education, educational systems and they're taught rote uh, memorization of facts and figures uh, it deadens their creativity and it deadens all the things that came natural to them as a child, which is why I wrote books like I, like I do, why I go to schools and I try and get kids excited about collaboration and creativity and using their mind to solve problems and diversity and, and all those types of things so that they get excited and they'll carry those up because it's very hard, another old idiom that carries the kernel of truth, it's hard to teach an old dog new tricks. Not impossible, but it's very difficult to teach someone that is set in their ways and have many cognitive biases, and it is uh, greatly affected by social norms to teach them to change. 
But it's, if you have those basic fundamental things instilled at a young age and they're strengthened and you're passionate about them, I think it can lead to a lot of great things, including passionate testers. And, and I think you've just raised a really interesting point. And uh, we had Adam Smith in who's, who sits on the, com- the ISO committee for, um, for AI standards. It just went live this week. And um, he talks about cognitive bias. And I think it's really interesting because skipping ahead, forgetting all the standard stuff we know about it, the developers that are writing and, and teaching the system at the moment and training it, you know, where, you know, do they have the right amount of communications and skills and empathy and all this kind of stuff that you're talking about to program an AI, uh, you know, is, are we going to get the most dull AI, boring, in, uninteresting, uninspiring, you know, products uh, out of this kind of tribe of just, you know, get it out quick, get it out dirty and, you know, do what everybody else is doing, do it this Spotify model, do it, you know, whatever Google are doing, we'll do it whatever Facebook are doing, not let's put the passion in and let's make something that's incredible. And, you know, I, I see that from every app that I download and I, I hate apps, you know, I, 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 you know, we had Theo who was, I think he was the second in the series and Theo had a quote when he, about five years ago, said there'd be no more apps, right? Same as James said, something similar the 10 years before that. And, you know, because an app expects everyone to behave with that app in the exact same way. It's not mass customized. It's not tailored to you. It doesn't work in a different way because it gets to know you. Uh, And I ordered a robot, uh, an AI robot, which comes on Monday, which I will have to get on the show. Uh, And it was a a startup company, um, a a Kickstarter uh, thing from an Amazon subsidiary. It's a thing called Vexed. Vector, I think it's called. It walks around, it interacts with you, it learns about you, and it learns around its surroundings. And that's exactly what you're talking about is, you know, those observational skills, those challenging the model. And I think all the best inventions that are coming through are people going, well, why does this have to be like this? You know, why does this, you know, system have to be like that? Let's rip it all apart, start again. And, you know, rediscover reasons why bad architecture, you know, I had a friend who always used to say he could look at a website and go, that company started in 1990, that started in 2010, just by the, that's three tier, this is, you know, every good architectural decision through the age meant that that's what they were living with. No one got to the point and just delete, you know, deleted it all and started again, you know. I think what you're talking about is something really special. I think those skills, you know, to give people that kind of foundation that actually gets them to question things uh, with integrity and put integrity back into the industry is, is fantastic. Are you thinking about doing maybe some workshops online while you've got some uh, downtime or? Um, Well, as I said, for the past three weeks, I've been pretty family focused. It has crossed my mind. I haven't taken any action. I've been approached by one person that I will be doing a webinar, an upcoming webinar. So one of my uh, talks that I, I, it's going to be actually a very interesting experience because this particular talk is called More Than That. And it's about how all of us are more than that. The that being whatever label you happen to put on yourself. You're more than just a podcaster. You're more than a tester. You're more than a, a man. You're more than all of those things. You're all of those things plus more. You're a very holistic human being. And that's kind of the, the gist of this talk. It's about self-identity and what you see when you look in the mirror. That talk has a lot. Of, it has some improv in it. It has some crowd work where I interview people from the audience and take their answers and roll them into the, uh, the content of the talk. Um, 
there's a lot of interaction. So doing it as a webinar, uh, unidirectional, without any feedback, without it being able to read faces and body language, it's going to be a very interesting experience. Um, and I've been trying to think how many of my other talks and training will be suitable for unidirectional, faceless type of webinars, um, or if I'm going to have to develop new content. Um, so I, I'm not sure what the future holds. Perhaps things will go back. I don't think they'll ever go back to normal, whatever that means, but there will be some new normal. And, uh, and I'll probably have to adjust to, to uh, uh, get in line with that, but I'm not sure what that looks like right now. Uh, well, uh, you know, I definitely recommend we try to do this for the BCS with Lisa. We did uh, use a product called Slido, S-L-I dot D-O. Uh, and yeah. it's, a, it's a collaboration tool that allows people to ask questions. But more importantly, just things like cloud words, it visualizes it. So as they're bringing up topics, it becomes more interactive. And so as people give feedback, you're seeing these cloud bubbles of people kind of going passion focus you know learning the basics and you know it gets everyone involved and they all want to be part of it and you know i think that's what we need you know webinars you know are, are something of the past i think for for just one-way communication it has to be connected to people but then how do you connect it's, it's so difficult but i also go recommend a, a good friend of mine who's based out in portland a guy called ray Arell. uh you may have come across i know him. ray yes yeah um he's doing I've been on his podcast there you go. So, that, that, so yeah. So he does the Agile Alliance podcast, um, and you know he does some. He's does some really interesting stuff around the solutions, this thinking, and and heuristics, which is kind of what you're doing. A lot of synergy in what you guys do. Um, but yeah, I'll I'll drop you in both an email. He's he, I know he's enjoying ice, uh, isolation. He's just put together the the latest Lego. Um, um, <laughs> Thing. So I, I've, I've decided to take on a bigger Lego project just to kind yes. of uh, even it out a little bit. But, you know, Great. you've got to keep that fun. And you've got to keep that happiness going. But yeah. I also, you know, it's, it's definitely time for people to reach out to people like yourself and start kind of interacting and learning and, you know, using this time to really start a connection. So, you know, what's the best way for people to get in touch with you and, and, and tell us a little bit more about Ineffable Solutions and, how, you know, how that works for people who might want to, you know, get engaged? Certainly. Um, I believe uh, I'm in it. The reason, <laughs> uh, start with the why. Why do I do what I do? Uh, first and foremost, there's many reasons, but the first and foremost reason is to help improve the world to make the world a better place, to help improve people and thereby improve the world. So that's why I do what I do. Um, and as evidence, I gave up a lot of money from my nine to five uh, job that I had for 25 years to do something that makes considerably less money, but is, uh, is meaningful in different ways. It, it lets me sleep well at night because I think I'm helping to make people and the world better. Um, but uh, that means that I speak a lot. I go to conferences and uh, conventions and events to be to help people but also to be visible to help build some credibility to help build a portfolio uh, that visibility I hand out cards people see me and uh, I, I call it be seen and be excellent if I'm not seen then no one knows I exist uh, but if I'm seen and I stink then nobody's going to want what I have to offer so I have to be seen and be excellent so I try and do my best job I put a lot of time and effort into uh, my presentations talks and workshops and oftentimes that leads to corporate training or private events where people will say, I really enjoyed seeing you at this event. Come and do a private uh, workshop, several-day workshop. And then sometimes that will even lead to consulting where I'll do short-term temporary gigs that uh, help people expand and go deeper on the, the topics 
which are very deep, relativism, talking about that in an hour. How much can you get? Communication. So I, I help companies go deeper. Um, the starting point for all of those things I've mentioned is ineffable-solutions.com. That's my website, and there's contact information. I also believe in giving away my stuff for free. So there's links to YouTube videos of all of my talks and training that you can watch to get a taste or, or, uh, or more than just a taste to, uh, to get the content itself. And if you feel it's worthwhile for your audience, then you can uh, reach out to me through the contact page. I also have a widget that makes it easy for people to set up and book my time that they can uh, just reach out and, and grab a spot on my calendar. Uh, another thing I mentioned earlier was my children's book, Hank and Stella and Something from Nothing, that teaches kids life skills through improv comedy. You can read the entire book for free at hankandstellabooks.com. And right before the epidemic, I was working on the second book in the series. The working title is Hank and Stella in Another Way to Know, and it's teaching kids about um, problem solving and the scientific method without using those big terms, teaching kids how to think for themselves, how to explore and understand and learn rather than asking an adult or reading what somebody else wrote in a book how to discover for themselves using the same little characters of Hank and Stella, the dog and the bunny. So uh, that's something I've been working on recently, and those are my two main passions right now. Uh, the third way that people might get a hold of me is I help run an, uh, an, a conference, a yearly testing conference called QAir the Highway. We just slipped it in under the wire in late February this year before <laughs> things went, went south, uh, but that's at QAirTheHighway.com. Uh, you can see all the past presentations um, and learn a lot about the conference there. So those are three ways that you can reach out to me and contact me. Well, it has been an ineffable uh, event, uh, you know, just connecting with you. <laughs> and uh, I'm, fe- I'm already feeling more psyched about everything. Um, so definitely go and check out that stuff. It's been absolutely fantastic to have you on the show. We'll have to get you back, especially once you've got the book and also to see how you've done uh, with coaching, mentoring and just being awesome. Oh, thank you so much. I appreciate the kind words. Thanks, Jonathan. Thanks for having me on. 